0: 40. Acts chapter 8, verses 26 to 40. Now, unusually for me, I don't normally read a passage of scripture, but I want to read this. I'm going to read it at breakneck speed, just to give you a little bit of a flavor of the context of this morning. Just to say, to try and second guess people thinking about Mansfield. By the way, if there is an almighty giant killing shock this afternoon at four o'clock, can somebody still get Christian to church tonight, please? Um, He may need a bit of help. All right. Um, But the reality is that uh, at 6 o'clock tonight, which is the greatest thing that's happening in Mansfield this evening, we're going to worship the Lord. Maybe thinking, hmm, is he going to talk on baptism again because it's not a baptism service? No, I'm not. In fact, if I could say it, friends, I feel as if I've, got, I've, got, I've got a word for tonight. Is that an encouragement for you to come? You better believe it. Okay, so, so at 6 o'clock tonight, we're going to meet and we're going to believe that God's going to touch us. But this morning, in the context of Carl and Dan being baptized, here's what the Bible says. Now the angel of the Lord said to Philip, not me, but him, uh, go south to the road, the desert road that comes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. So he started out and on his way he met an Ethiopian eunuch, an important official in charge of all the treasury at Kandaki. The man had gone to Jerusalem to worship and on his way home was sitting in his chariot reading the book of Isaiah the prophet. The spirit said to Philip, go to that chariot and stay near it. Then Philip ran to the chariot and heard the man reading Isaiah the prophet. Do you understand what you are reading, Philip asked? How can I, he said, unless someone explains to me. So he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. This is the passage of scripture that the eunuch was reading. And it's from Isaiah 53, and some of you will know that. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter, and as a lamb before his shearer is silent, so he did not open his mouth. This is speaking of Jesus prophetically. In his humiliation, he was deprived of justice. Who can speak of his descendant? For his life was taken from the earth. The eunuch asked Philip, tell me please, Who is the prophet talking about? Himself or someone else? Then Philip began with that very passage of scripture and told him the good news about Jesus. As he traveled along the road, they came to some water and the eunuch said, look, here's water. What can stand in the way of me being baptized? And he gave orders to stop the chariot. They both... Then both Philip and the eunuch went down to the the water. A lot of water, you see. You need a lot of water for proper baptism. They went down into the water, and Philip baptized him. When they come out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord suddenly took Philip away. And the eunuch did not see him again, and he went on his way, rejoicing. So here's a few thoughts, friends, from that passage this morning. And it's an amazing passage of Scripture. There are a number of references in the New Testament to baptism, and they they give us a shade of colour every time they are declared. What is evident in the New Testament is that in a challenging secular culture, as 2,000 years ago as well as today, thousands of people were becoming devoted Christ followers and expressing that decision publicly, an outward show of what has taken place in their heart by being baptised by full immersion in water. Nothing's changed. Isn't it glorious? The Church of Jesus Christ... Let me say today, friends, on this first Sunday of 2013 across the world, thousands of people are expressing their devotedness to Jesus Christ by being baptised in water by full immersion. And Arena Church, Ilkeston, this morning has the joy of being part of that great expression to the Lord. What is baptism? Well, the original New Testament word, friends, means to plunge, to submerge, to immerse. And uh, so this church believes in baptism by full immersion. And there are numbers of references in the New Testament to baptism. Matthew 28, verse 19, it's part of the Great Commission. Baptism and discipleship are inextricably linked. In Acts chapter 2, verse 41, Peter stood up with the 11 and 3,000 people became Christians on that particular day. And as they became Christians, they also were baptized. In Acts chapter 9, verse 18, Saul, who later became Paul, In Damascus, through the ministry of the disciple called Ananias, was baptized. An apostolic giant emerged to touch the nations of the earth. In Acts chapter 10 verse 48, with Jewish people still thinking that the gospel was confined to Jewish people ethnically, Cornelius the Gentile calls on Peter to come and minister to him. The Spirit of God fell on them and they were baptized in water. I love the word of God because if ever we're in danger of becoming formulaic in how it works, the Bible always pricks the formulaic bubble. Because Cornelius was saved, baptized in the Holy Ghost and then baptized in water just to make sure that we don't sort of say, oh no, it's got to be that way. Because God can do it anyway, friends, as long as we do it. As long as we do it. And then Paul Back in Jerusalem, in Acts 22, verse 16, says these words. What are you waiting for? Get up, be baptized, wash your sins away, calling on his name. One of the symbolic expressions of baptism, friends, is it brings a cleansing to our being. That we might live free for Jesus Christ. Here's the truth about baptism. Number one, we can make too much of it. You see, baptism is not about perfection. It's about beginnings. Baptism is not about infallibility, it's about intentionality. I'm going to follow Jesus Christ for the rest of my life. Stop waiting to be good enough. If you're a believer and you've never been baptised, you need to get baptised, period. The other thing, friends, is that we can make too little of baptism. We think it can be ignored and circumnavigated, but it can't. It's a real issue of our devotedness to Jesus Christ. We've had people come through this church, friends, I don't want to go off on this as a tangent, that have come from other religious traditions, other Christian traditions that we are very respectful of, and have been ad- ingrained in them, you were baptised as a baby. But they have come to decisions, friends, of realising that actually they need to bring some expression of their devotedness to Jesus as an adult through being baptised in the way that God commands us to do. And If you're one of those people this morning, I want to say you need to talk to us we want to encourage you to process this in your heart. And we'll do it respectfully and carefully. But you need to be baptized. Three things before I come to the final bit of what I want to say this morning regarding this passage. Number one, God is interested in the one. So here's a high-ranking treasury official that had gone to Jerusalem to worship. I want to tell you, friends, that you will not find God by going to a place. You need to come into contact with the person. I say that because nearly a year ago, I had the privilege of being in Jerusalem. People have described it as the most holy city in the world. I disagree with that. It's the most religious city in the world. But here's the truth, friends. You will not find Jesus by going to a place geographically. You will find Jesus by allowing him to become the saviour of the world. If you've not got the finance to go to Jerusalem, the good news is you can find him right here this morning in this church. And he's interested in the one. So this guy had gone to Jerusalem. He's coming back. He's reading from the Old Testament prophet Isaiah. He didn't understand what he was reading about. and God was so interested in the one that he whisked the evangelist out of revival to come and speak to the one. Here's a lie that very often gets whispered into people's hearts. This Christian led the prayer this morning about how we thought about God. You may have thought about this. God's bothered about everybody else, but he's not bothered about me. Friends, it is a lie. He is passionate about you. He loves you. He's interested in you. He wants to minister to you. It's like it was only you in the meeting this morning. And whether it's through people's invitation, whether it's through you driving past and thinking, I need to go to that church, whether it's through the fact that you've returned after a Christmas service, whatever it is that stirred in your heart this morning, God's got you here because he's interested in you. The second thing is about man's obedience. How many of today's preachers would want to be lifted out of an incredible revival that was taking place in Samaria? People being saved, healed, set free, (coughs) delivered from powers of darkness to go and talk to one, but Philip was. The Spirit of God spoke to him and brought him alongside to minister. And then, thirdly, the power of conversation from verse 30. Do you understand what you're reading? Uh, no, unless somebody helps me. By the way, don't feel embarrassed about that because that's why God gives communicators to the church to help us come to a place of understanding in our heart so that we can respond to God and follow him all of our days. And it says that Philip had come alongside the chariot, but then just a few moments later, it says that Philip was invited to come up and sit with him. I want to tell you, friends, that prophetically, That went boom into my heart as I was getting the work ready this morning. And I believe that there are people around our church in all sorts of contexts in terms of your marketplace world that have been alongside the chariot, but this year you're going to sit in it. Christian, I really felt it strong for you. I really felt that in terms of some of your influences, some of your conversations, some of the things that are passionate in your heart in terms of community being changed, you've come alongside the chariot, but God says you're going to have an invitation to come and sit in it. People are going to listen to what you've got to say and imbibe it and receive it. Not only Christian, I believe it strongly for him. There's a great leader in this church, but people in work context, school context, college context, favour upon you, where you feel as though you've been alongside, but you're going to come right in, right into the destiny of God that sits over your life. He shared the good news with him. He didn't, he didn't complicate it. He simply said in verse 35 that he shared the good news about Jesus. Here's another life, friends. That Jesus and good news aren't Jesus and good news, but they are. The good news, friends, is that Jesus Christ came to this earth to save us, to change us, to lead us, to direct us. If anybody's portrayed to you that Jesus is bad news and negative, it's just wrong. The gospel is good news. And I conclude this morning with four banner headlines that I believe are appropriate to Carl and to Dan. But also sit over Arena Church as we go into a new year that regarding the good news of Jesus. Number one, Jesus is the only Savior. Jesus is the only Savior. The Bible says in Acts chapter 4 and verse 12 that salvation is found in no other than Jesus Christ. When Paul went to Corinth, he says, I come to you speaking of nobody else but Jesus and him crucified. You cannot save yourself. You may say that you're a good person. You see, good people are sometimes more difficult to get saved than bad people. The reality is we're all bad people. But good people sometimes justify themselves. Well, I've never done this. I've never done that. But you need to be saved. You need to be. You cannot save yourself. Your finance cannot save you. Your social stances cannot save you. The street where you live in cannot save you. It's only Jesus that can save you. And the banner headline that goes over Arena Church again this morning, that is, he is the only saviour. Number two, he's the only way. John fourteen and verse six says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. The guys led us in that song that's been around our church for a few years now, last week, searched throughout the worlds. But you're my only hope. You see, friends, we live in a confused, complex society. Imagine Andy coming to me today and saying, Phil, I need to get there. Can you tell me the way? So I'll could be that way. Oh no, that's going to lead you to Corey Sacknity. Uh, it could be that way. i tell you what, make your own mind up, because we're all going to get to the same place anyway at the end of it. What sort of direction's that? But that's what we get in society, friends. In fact, the more confused that people seem to be, the more they think it's right. But Jesus says, I'm the way. I'm the way. I'm the way. And a banner headline across this church, friends, without any sense of apology, is that Jesus Christ is the only way to God you may have searched throughout the world, you may have gone to comparative contemporary religions, you may have tried life-controlling substances, you may have been in multiple relationships, you may have done all the stuff of life, but Jesus Christ is the only way that can bring you to God. And friends, when you find it, you won't bother going up any other cul-de-sac, dead ends, one-way street. You'll just be so thankful that he's pointed you to the way. Thirdly, he's the only sacrifice. And here in the text, he was led like a slam, lamb to the slaughter, uh, a sheep to the slaughter and as a lamb before a shear, as he's silent. He's talking, friends, several hundred years before it took place about the death of Jesus Christ for us on the cross. It's what theologians call the substitutionary death of Jesus. Don't worry about it. It was a penal substitution. We deserve to pay the price, but God in Jesus paid the price for us. We deserve to stand where he stood, but he stood there as our substitute. You don't have to pay the price, because the price has already been paid. You have to step into the payment of the price. Imagine going to your bank this week, and you, let's say you owe £50,000 pound on your mortgage, and the bank manager says, you need to come in because the mortgage has been paid off. Hey, that'd be good, wouldn't it? Whoa! Woo! Then your tithing could go up from 20% to 30%. Whoa, okay. Whoa. Imagine you arguing with the bank manager for two hours, insisting that, no, 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 no. no, It couldn't possibly be paid off. I'm going to keep paying it. I'm going to keep paying that 300 quid a month, whatever it is. You're going to keep paying it even though it's been paid. That's what loss of us were like. It's been paid, friends. It's been paid. It's been paid. You don't have to pay it. You don't have to pay it with religious works. You don't have to pay it with self-effort. You just have to step into the fact that it's been paid for you. That is good news. And fourthly, friends, is the only foundation. 1 Corinthians 3.11 says that we don't build upon any other foundation than Christ. And that foundation in an unstable, insecure world, that foundation at times, friends, when we turn on our TV, and it really does move us inwardly in terms of some of the horrific things that take place in modern society. That foundation gives us strength, stability and security in an insecure world. Across Arena Church, by God's grace, hopefully with a spirit of faith and passion, we're going to continually declare the good news of Jesus. He's the only saviour, he's the only way, he's the only sacrifice, and he's the only foundation. Nicky Gumbel, leading one of the great churches of our nation, right in the heart of London opposite Harrods this morning, Holy Trinity Brompton said this, on Twitter over Christmas. If the world's greatest need had been money, he'd have sent a financier. If the world's greatest need had been pleasure, he'd have sent an entertainer. But the world's greatest need was a saviour. And so he sent Jesus. Let's pray.